data leadership for everyone. I'm your host, Anthony Algvin. Everyone needs to harness the power of data. There's a lot involved in making that happen, and this show is here to make it all a little bit easier. Think of this as an audio advice column for all your data and leadership questions. Our guest today is Ryan Welsh. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Kindy, which he started in 2014 with a vision of creating a world where AI would empower humans to do their most meaningful work. Under his leadership, Kindy has created the natural language enablement category with their powerful Kindy platform and other natural language enabled solutions. Prior to joining Kindy, Ryan worked on M&A due diligence at NextFed, where he also assisted with deep tech commercialization, specifically in the areas of quantum cryptography, cyber technologies, small satellites, and deep learning. Ryan, welcome to Data Leadership for Everyone. That is quite a bio. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you understand a whole bunch of technology that I do not. So uh, quantum cryptography always, always, always gets everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm just happy I pronounced it fairly well. So that one is about how far I go with cryptography, quantum cryptography, especially. So um, today, so you you have, and we were t- we were chatting a little bit before the show, but you have a a area of emphasis that is certainly interesting to a lot of people at the moment with AI and and Chat GPT and all of that. So I'm going to just turn this over to you a little bit to kind of set the stage like we discussed a little bit pre-show. But talk to me about what it is that your emphasis is with Kindy and kind of what you're seeing about this whole world about an AI enablement and uh, and, and the kind of work that you're doing with all this uh, kind of deep technology stuff that Kindy is operating on. Yeah, so, so we focused on natural language processing and natural language processing is a, is a big category with a lot of yeah. subtasks under, underneath it, like machine translation, speech recognition, information extraction, uh, classification, like all of that is, is natural language processing. The specific category of natural language processing that we focus on is something called question answering. And so the ability of a, of a person to ask a question and get a, an answer to their question. And I think everyone's starting to, to realize the importance of that now with chat GPT. I think previously folks would say, I have a search engine over here. Like, what do I need a question answering system for? And then when you put chat GPT next to Google search results, everyone now gets it. <laughs> it's night, <laughs> night and day, right? Like you can literally ask chat GPT a question. It generates an answer for you. Now we'll get into like the nuances of generating an answer versus what is an actual answer and whether or not it's it's factual and accurate from trusted from trusted sources. But like comparing that to like asking a keyword question and getting getting blue links back that you then need need to read through. So what we focused on at Kindy is something we call we call answer engines. And mm-hmm. so we think that in the future every search every search bar and every chat interface in every enterprise in the world is going to have an answer engine behind it, not a search engine. I mean, I, I love the term answer engine. And that's this is the first time I'm hearing of that, but it naturally makes sense. And I think you are absolutely correct because I think about my experience with using a, a search engine and you have to translate your actual question into keywords and other things yep. that you think will help the search engine return the results that you need. And so there's all this translation happening on both ends and it's inefficient and it doesn't and it often leads you to a bunch of nonsense. And, and this is where, like, as, as much as I love technology and as much as I love um, data and, and all of that, and we'll certainly talk about some of the, the challenges that we're going to see with with these um, answer engines. But I mean, I, I hate 
voice assistants because so often I try to interact with the voice assistant in a way that I think makes sense. And it just completely shuts down. It's like uh, we can find a you know web page and, and some search results with that if you'd like to do that. I'm like, no, all I want you to do is add the song to a playlist or I want you to do something very simple. And it's like, no, we're, we're, we've lost you, man. And so like that, I, I there's so much room for growth there. But I would agree, like I need to get past this world of trying to interact with voice in a search engine dominated place. Totally. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So I, I put together a slide recently and, and while I was doing, I, I couldn't believe I was putting together this, this slide. And it, it basically showed the search engine era ending about 120 days ago. And it's, it's fascinating. So I, I kind of start the start of the search engine era, maybe like 1970 when uh, IBM's like enterprise search capability was really like commercialized. I mean, obviously there was information retrieval capabilities before that, but let's just start it there. And you go from 1970 to November 30th, 2022, let's call that the search engine era, where trillions of dollars of market cap was created <laughs> and access to information was transformed globally. Mm -hmm. That era might have ended on November 30th, 2022 with the release of, of, of ChatGPT. And this whole expectation now is like, hey, I want to be able to ask a question and get an answer. And so if that is actually the case, if that that era ended like imagine rewinding back to 1970 and knowing that this what the search engine era brought to not just like humanity but like to the people that created these these companies standing there in 1970 say the same thing's going to happen except with these new technologies <laughs> i mean it's just it's just a a race now and it's it's pretty fascinating to be standing here at kindy and that's kind of what it what it what it feels like to us is just this giant open field of, of, of opportunity to just completely transform um, all aspects of, of society. I, I, I agree. And I tend to be a skeptic on some of these newer technologies with things. And I was, I was late to the game with cloud. I was, I was you know, suspicious of that. And like, I generally am pretty slow. I a hundred percent agree with you on this. And you've been doing this for a while. I mean, like you've had this business since 2014. This is not new to you. Like you've been working in this area for a while and now it's just finally like light bulb moment for everybody else. And you're like, yeah, this is what we've been talking about. Right. And so yeah. I definitely, yeah. <laughs> I definitely see that as being, I 100% agree with you and this this whole kind of huge on a on a pin moment all of a sudden we're now in the the answer era like we are now in these answer engine and world and and I think you're absolutely right and I think that's exactly what we need going forward now I also feel like a lot of the audience for my show we are the ones that are in the the <laughs> hard labor feels the right words in data where we're trying to work on data quality, where we're trying to work on yeah. data strategy and organizations. And you're like, well, we can see all this cool chat GPT stuff. And then we go back to our office and we're like, uh Oh, dark ages. And like, we can't do anything. And so, so many things that I would like to talk about, let's start just at a more natural transition point. Clearly it's well known at this, at this point that with chat GPT, especially it's being trained on some information that isn't always reliable. And people will say, hey, I asked for a bio on myself and it yeah. all sounded really good. Half of it was completely wrong. I know because it's me. And so it's, yeah. it's how do we solve that problem first and, and get data that can be relied upon or show our work, show the references? How do we solve that? Because I have to believe, and I'm curious your take on this too. I have to believe if we don't do that, 
this whole thing doesn't work. Like this, this whole thing just creates a totally. huge amount of problems. We have to solve this problem. What do we do? Yeah. The, so the way that it's solved in the enterprise and the, the way that, 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 that we solve it is, is with like an external memory. And so there's going to be contextually relevant data um, in an enterprise that you can pass to a large language model that then constrains the answer that's going to be generated from that large language model specifically on the data that you fed fed into it. And so mm -hmm. the the key part here is to not have a system or a user interact directly with the large language model in, a, in an enterprise system because these systems are going to like generate those false answers that, that you're that you're talking about. Like you give it a prompt for anything, it'll figure out how to write something whether or not it's true <laughs> or, yeah. or, or not. Like it'll just it'll just write it. And so what what you're seeing people do, and really what 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 we do at, at, at Kindy is we actually constrain this large language model and we ground it in enterprise specific terminology and content. And then when we bring results back from that system, you can then feed those into a large language model and have the large language model then synthesize an answer from that content. And you're constraining it specifically to the, the enterprise content that, that, that you fed into it, such that the answers that come out are from trusted, trusted uh, sources as opposed to, you know, some deep post on Reddit. <laughs> Who knows <laughs> right. of whether or not it was true. Well, yeah, certainly we have to move beyond the the proxy of the more connections to that specific piece of information, the more likely it is to be relevant, which is, I think, underneath how something like a Google search works is that it's totally. looking for connections to that and then inferring, yeah. oh, because there's so many connections, we need to do that. But your point, totally understand what you're saying, but having seen the state of data in many enterprises – uh, yeah. It's not very reliable in a lot of cases. In a lot of cases, the enterprise has been trying but failing to make that data of a reliable quality uh, for quite some time. Can we get past that or, or or do we just have to finally get the data quality problem right first and then we can do all this uh, fancier AI and, and answer engine? Or is there a way we can we can improve our data quality without having to go and do all the stuff that the data people have been trying to do for decades? Yeah, we've run into this. A number of times with 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 customers and so i kind of think about it as you kind of have to accept the fact that there's going to be bad data fed into these systems and by by bad data you know there's there's several different aspects you can think about but i'll just talk about like wrong answers or numerous answers to to questions and so here an example um with a, a, a customer we, we we worked with was um uh, internal employees were asking questions about some uh, a time frame that they were that they could do something based on like the policies and procedures to that organization hmm. and there was three answers to the question like it was like 7 days 9 days and 14 days <laughs> and they were all right like in the documentation because the people that wrote it were the authorities on that answer and so the, the reason I bring this up is I I think what's what's interesting of what answer engines start to surface is you start to surface those that wrong information. And so I don't think you're going to solve and get everything completely right and clean before you feed it into a system. I think you have to accept the fact that, yeah, do the best job that you can, but these systems are also going to surface more easily that you have it wrong because there's only one right answer to that question. 
And so you're able to see that consistently now with these systems. Hey, you know, what is the time frame that I'm able to, to do this thing? And the system comes back and goes, you can do it seven, nine and 14 days out. It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> you can only do it one of those, one of right. those things. And so the system is going to like sound pretty stupid when, when you see those three answers, but you realize like, hey, that's, that's how you taught it. And so people can then use that information to then start to clean it, clean up. And so I don't think it's like, hey, fix everything before you get to these systems. And I don't think it's like, don't do any work before you get to these systems. You got to think about it as like, like an iterative process where they both kind of reinforce each other, like clean up the data yeah. before you feed it in. And then this system will actually help you then continue to, to, to clean it up. That I buy that. And I would agree with that. I think the part that I'm most concerned with right now, I think is relatively easily fixed. And that is the thing like ChatGPT could have seen, you know, I have three different lengths of time and I'm only going to surface one of them because that one seems to be the most likelihood. I don't like when, if we're going to assert something, if we're not showing, hey, we arrived at this process and this process might be flawed to give you that answer. We've got to at least provide the whole context or the reference or, yeah. or something to know, hey, there's some nuance. Because I mean, clearly we're still in early days of all this. And so nuance isn't handled well. Bordered conditions are naturally not handled well in an early version. So I think, though, realizing that, hey... You know, I, I think of these tools and, and, and I'm curious what you think about my, my analogy here is, but I think of these um, answer engines in their current stages, chat GPTs and all that uh, are, are like ultimate book smart, but not street smart. Like they don't have the experiential learning, but they have all they've read everything right. They've read yeah, and retained yeah. everything, but they don't know, hey, you can't do this because that's totally against social norms or you can't do like like. And so that nuance will come. But today we just have to get to a point where at first before that nuance actually gets here, we just have to say, hey, there's times when we're not sure and we need to raise that first before we say, hey, we're going to guess at this and not tell you that we're guessing at that. And I think that's where ChatGPT early on has had a bit of problems and, and maybe even hurt itself. What's your reaction to that, I guess, is my question. <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree. And and what's what's funny about the Street Smarts comment is, is – uh, I, I never thought as knowledge representations as being street smarts, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's funny to think about it, it that way because because uh, yeah you can you can start and what candidly what what we're doing here is you can actually start to introduce knowledge representations to these these language models and there's an emerging field of academic research that's starting to be called neurosymbolic language models that we find quite quite compelling. Because you start to constrain or ground these language models in like real world stuff. That street smarts that you're talking about, or you know mm -hmm. what academic, academics would call common sense, um, and you can say, hey, like your answer can only be generated based on like common sense. Like like mm -hmm. there can't be three answers to this to this question. There can only be one. Now that the challenge is, is which one's the right the right one? And candidly, I think right now, like only a human can can answer that question if humans are saying that all three of these are, are, are right. You got to pass it to someone and ultimately do it. But I think, you know, not just kind of that, that grounding via knowledge representations, which I don't know if you're, you or your audience knows this is, is pretty provocative thing to say because the, uh, the academic research community is very like divided among like deep learning connectionist folks or like symbolic folks and actually fusing those two systems together is like, Pretty, pretty provocative, provocative thing. Um, the other thing that, that I think is really key that a lot of systems don't have and something that we've focused on here at Kindy is explainability. Mm. And so where are these answers being generated from? And so can you actually like take enterprise data, transform it into a 
representation. Those representations can be vectors or a symbolic representation or some fusion of, of those two things, kind of like a neurosymbolic representation. And then when, it's, when an answer is generated, can you actually know where that answer is being generated from? And so in the example of the time period to actually submit whatever it is that they need to submit, and they're 7, 9, and 14, if it returns those answers, it can then show you in the underlying documentation that, hey, we got that from, from here so that you as a person can go back and say, hey, man, you did get this from here. There shouldn't be three answers. This is wrong. I actually can't use this inf information. And so I think one of the problems with these with these large language models is not having that explainability. And that's more of like provenance of where the, the, the stuff's being, mm -hmm. being generated from versus like formal explainability would be like more like causal reasoning steps. Um, but, but actually having that explainability or lack of explainability, I think is, is a hurdle to enterprise adoption, maybe not on the consumer side, because, you know, who cares if an answer is wrong, I can just kind of like, it's, it's, it's low stakes, but mm -hmm. on, on the enterprise side, explainability, I think is a huge, um, hurdle that, that companies need to get over to ultimately start to deploy these systems. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is super fascinating. And I feel like, you know, though the show is data leadership for everyone, this is like the 400 level class. This is graduate level. Uh, there's a lot of big words going on, but the way I think about this and maybe, maybe I can simplify it and see if I'm, I'm, I'm correct or not uh, in, in thinking about it this way. But as I think about AI traditionally, I mean, the whole notion of AI, the whole notion of machine learning is that you have by definition, this black box that there is no code to like troubleshoot you can't debug the code because there is no code it's looking at something through some sort of algorithmic model that doesn't have a linear flow like traditional computer code and so because of that we haven't figured out yet or at least in in the existing um answer engines that we've seen so far we can't trace back that provenance or that lineage back to where it was sourced from, because sometimes we just don't directly know because you don't have that flow of code the same logical way that you do in those traditional non-AI types of, of things. And so now we've got to say, okay, well, it arrived at this answer. Clearly it arrived at this answer for some sort of logical reason. That's how it functions on the back end, but it's, it's observing patterns. It's doing whatever magic that I don't understand the details of, but it got to that answer for a reason. How can we now say what was that reason and point at that and connect people to that? Because that will ultimately drive the trust that we need inside our enterprises to use these systems in a reliable way, not just because they say, hey, we're asserting this, but now we can show here's why we're asserting this. Is that all correctly stated? Yeah. Uh, yes. By, by and large, yes. Um, I like kind of think about explainability of among like a, 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 a spectrum and on like the like one end of the spectrum is like the very like rich and robust explainability, which is like causal reasoning. Like I can mm -hmm. explain to you in a formal, logical, causal way, this is why this happened. Water boiled at 212 because of this chemical process, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that's that's why. I didn't predict it was going to happen and it just happens all the time at, at, at 212 or 100 degrees Celsius. Like that, that's the extreme. And then there's like this other end, which which folks are, are, are doing, which is kind of trying to show like which areas of the neural network get hot. Like, oh, this neuron was hot, which maps to this pixel in this picture. So it's that pixel and these pixels around it which caused this this prediction like that's that's helpful for like model monitoring and like 
some aspects of, of a, a explainability. And then kind of like somewhere in the middle is this thing that, that we're talking about, which is like provenance mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, I, I can explain to an end user because an end user typically is not going to know like some neuron is, is or some, yeah. some uh, structure in, in the, the neural network is, is, is hot. They're going to be like, I don't know what that means, but I can show you that in the underlying data, this answer was generated from this, re this area of the text. You can read around this area of a text to get the, get the broader context. So that's kind of where we're talking about. And I think that that really is the stuff that's going to allow adoption and this kind of other end of like formal causal explanations is, you know, we're not there yet with with machine learning. I'm going to respond to this more coarsely than I probably should. But I think because I wasn't even thinking about that one in my last set of statements, because you're totally right. It's like, OK, fine, we can explain if we're the AI machine, we can explain exactly why we came to this. And the only reaction you're going to have to that explanation is you're going to be terrified because you're not going to find you're not going to understand any of it because a yeah. human just doesn't understand that. I mean, maybe there's a human who understands that that neuron thing. I met a few of them when I was in Big Pharma, I think. But most people are not going to be able to un interpret that and understand that in a meaningful way to then attribute trust, which is a very human thing into yep. how they're going to then take that information and use it elsewhere. And so you're right. Like you basically have to dumb it down from a technical perspective. You have to dumb it down to a human level, a human understandable level so that then that human in their world can take that information and act on it appropriately and attribute trust or attribute human type things to this, you know, outcome that was driven from a very machine centric point of view. And so there's a translation mechanism there that I could see getting to that point has got to be incredibly difficult. I mean, is that more difficult than getting to the answer in the first place? I would, I would like to think it probably is. Uh, the, get, getting to like the formal, like, like causal, uh, reasoning yeah, the, side of, side of things. Yeah. That, that is, that yeah. is, that is very, that is very difficult to, to get to specifically yeah. for, for machine learning. Now, I brought up the, the the term symbolic AI. It's not in symbolic AI because you're hand coding these representations, these logical representations, and these rules to manipulate those those symbols, which is mm -hmm. which is reasoning. Um, you know, whether it's deductive, abductive, inductive, or analogical reasoning, like like you're able to hand code those things. But from a but from a machine learning perspective, these statistical machines that are finding patterns to generate mm -hmm. some some output. Like all that is statistic fuzziness, causal relationships be damned, but it's, but it's accurate. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, this is so fascinating. Like, cause that, that totally makes sense. Like you've basically imposed a, when you can say, okay, here are the structure, here are the relational things we can deem as truth. And then the machine can work around that, but it uses that as a basis. Then I could see why it would be so much more easily done in, in that kind of symbolic uh, setup versus in that other way where it's just the machine trying to figure stuff out you don't have yeah. those paths predefined so it totally makes yeah. sense in the last yeah. uh, this is uh, by the way i am loving this conversation it's so interesting oh man but so in the last couple minutes that we have because this is naturally going by super fast what what from my practical perspective for people that are working in real businesses or running their businesses or you're thinking about in the next five years what am I going to need to be bringing into my organization in this space? And, and what should we really be thinking about taking action on soon, as opposed to that next 30 years of uh, incredible growth that we're going to expect to see from this? But what, what are those kind of next steps that you're seeing that, that need to be top of mind for the folks that might be watching uh, or listening to this show? Yeah, well, 
the easiest step for people to take is as you go about your day, notice where you see search bars and chat interfaces and, and think to yourself, why is there not an answer engine behind it? Like that's the easiest step because they're everywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, if you just go on your computer and you're like looking for, for files, like why is there not an answer engine? Like, you know, maybe it's for navigational purposes so I can get to the right file, but you know, why is there not an answer engine? If, if I'm at work and I'm like looking up my health benefits that my employer provides, like, why is there not an answer engine that says, here are the benefits. And so like you start to, as, as like managers in organizations, if you can keep track of every day, like where is there a search bar that you're interacting with or the people that you work with, the stakeholders that you're responsible for interact with and think to yourself, there should be an answer engine behind that. Because if there's not an answer engine behind it, my people are, are wasting, my stakeholders are wasting in some instances, one day a week, 20% 20, 20 of their time looking for answers when they should be wasting just a, just a few a few minutes uh, a week finding those answers. So that's like one way to kind of think about it. And, and, and so countless use cases come from just that exercise. The other exercise is where have we done things to because search is bad? And so you'll see this on websites a lot. And so we have these visual flows of trying to like, hey, here's this tile explains what we do. Scroll down, we'll show you what it is exactly that we do. Scroll down a little bit further, we'll show you how we do it. Scroll down a little bit further, it says here are the other customers that use this that are like you, so you should trust us. Scroll down to the last tile, purchase our, our product or service. And so like we've done that flow because it's not easy for people to ask the questions specifically that they're trying to answer to make a purchase. And so could we, or and should we, have a more natural language interface on that. So if I knew the one question that I wanted to ask coming to a site, specifically, I already knew about the product and service. I already kind of knew about the company. I wanted to know what other customers, credible customers they have such that I can trust them. Why can't I come to the site, ask a single question? What other customers do you have in say SaaS software space that's like me? And then the system answers, I got my information, go to the purchase bar. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, I, th I think, think about these flows where we've started to put things together because search was, was so bad, you know, and, and the natural way that we interact with, with each other is via this natural language. And this is the transformation that we're going to, to make over the next 10 years is getting back to this natural language interface with computers, because we've done so many contortions over the last 50 years because that was so bad. Well, now it's great. So we need to, you know, <laughs> get ourselves yeah. back to the easier ways of, 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 of interacting, which is via this natural language interface. That's awesome. So final question before we go, for people who want to learn more about Kindy or dive deeper into this, how can they contact you or, or find more information about all of the stuff that we've been talking about today? Yeah, kindy.com, uh, uh, ch check it out. And uh, uh, my email, which I rarely put out there, but I'll put it out here, is very simple. It's just my name at Kindy. So, <laughs> so shoot me an email if you have any questions. 
Awesome. And that kindy is spelled K-Y-N-D-I for anyone who's just listening to the audio on this. So definitely, uh, Ryan, this has been an absolute awesome conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And this podcast is data leadership for everyone, but if you need some data leadership for you, I want to help. So send questions to podcast at dl4e1.com or my phone number is 773-888-2077. If you prefer to text or leave a voicemail, I'm happy to address a question on the show or connect for a one-on-one conversation. You can find subscription links and all our episodes at dataleadershipforeveryone.com. And until next time, be good to your data, be better to your business, and be best to each other. Now go make an impact.